Millions of Americans are facing a mental health crisis. That includes adults and children. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, nearly 58 million adults experience mental illness each year. The bigger challenge is how to get them the help they need. This great demand comes at a time when really we have less behavioral health personnel than ever before, both in terms of therapists and treating prescribing providers. That's psychiatrist Dr. Samuel Sears, and I'm Shelley Dankoff, your host of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. On this episode of Health Accelerated, millions of Americans, men, women, and children are in crisis, a mental health crisis. The numbers from the National Alliance on Mental Illness are scary. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year, with one in 20 experiencing a serious mental illness each year. One in six kids aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. That's nearly 8 million people. And 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by the age of 14, 75% by the age of 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 14. Joining me to discuss this important topic and just one of the ways OSF Healthcare is looking to help are Dr. Samuel Sears, a psychiatrist and director of behavioral health physician services for OSF Healthcare, and Emily Shields, vice president of business development for OSF. First of all, thank you for being here. This is a very important discussion to have. Dr. Sears, in your practice, I mean, you, these numbers aren't surprising to you, are they? Unfortunately, no. We were already facing pretty significant challenges in mental health even before the pandemic, and the pandemic has really spurred a great deal of increased demand for services. We've seen about a 30% increase of rates of depression, rates of anxiety, and worsening substance use disorders. And that's really spurring crisis in care needs, showing up in our emergency departments, showing up in outpatient, showing up in our inpatient units. And this great demand comes at a time when really we have less behavioral health personnel than ever before, both in terms of therapists and treating prescribing providers. The states and the governmental bodies out there have not done the mental health community any favors, have they, over the years? Because it was an easy cost-saving measure. We don't need that facility. We'll, we'll just do away with it because nobody wants to be institutionalized. And that has created some of the crisis, in your opinion, hasn't it? It really has. And unfortunately, it's a case of best intentions and attempts at financial ba balancing acts really ending up costing a lot of the most vulnerable individuals. At the end of the day, is it great when we're able to provide care in the community, keep people out of the hospital? Certainly, that's always a goal for all of us. However, at the same time, it can't be at the expense of people in crisis and in great need. And the state has, you know, really pared back on their ability to serve the civil population as the forensic population has boomed through the courts and through incarceration. And the state really has focused their attention on meeting the needs of you know, the incarcerated individuals or those waiting to stand trial, whereas most of the civil needs have fallen on, you know, community agencies, hospitals, and individual doctors to try and support those needs. 
And really, we've not been able to keep up with that demand without robust services. The states across the country have cut funding to community mental health centers, some of which have gone out of business. Others have had to partner to stay afloat and have had to pare back services. In fact, even well-run community mental health centers for every hour of prescribing provider time that they give actually lose money on that proposition. And so, again, when you're struggling with, you know, keeping your doors open and serving individuals, having to cut back on those in great need is difficult. And there used to be things such as block grants that were given out by the federal government. Those were pared away back in the Reagan administration even, have only suffered greater cuts over time. There is less grant-funded dollars available to the system than there ever was before. And unfortunately, those with severe mental health issues really aren't the ones that are providing a lot of money in campaigns to be the strong push toward, you know, we're a focus of attention for political campaigns. That's not going to, you know, bring in the revenue to get somebody elected. So their voice often goes unheard. There used to be a stigma back in the day. Um, in the Peoria area, you had the you know the Bartonville facility where people were institutionalized, and everybody it, it didn't have a great reputation despite whatever work was going on, and you didn't want to go down to that facility. Did that create perhaps some of what we're dealing with now because there was a certain stigma around being quote unquote institutionalized? There's always been stigma around mental health, unfortunately, and mental health is truly just part of healthcare. The brain's no different than any other organ of the body. However, many individuals and some cultures especially have a lot of stigma that are just kind of embedded within how they approach mental health discussions, difficulty talking about feelings, difficulty talking about there's something wrong. Does that make me, you know, a weaker person or somebody that doesn't have strong faith or anything else? And again, we've worked really hard over time and we've made good progress in really getting this approached more as this is a health problem. You wouldn't treat someone differently because they got pneumonia or had diabetes. Why would you treat them differently because they have a disorder that's affecting their emotions and their brain? But unfortunately, that hasn't gone away despite the you know strides we've made. There are some other stats that I want to bring in before I uh, bring Emily into this conversation. More than 47% of adults with mental illness received treatment in 2021. So that's less than half. 65% with serious mental illness received treatment in 2021. And just over 50% of kids aged 6 to 17 with a mental health disorder received treatment in 2016, which were the most recent numbers available. Okay, those numbers are scary too. We're not getting the treatment to people who need to have it. So Emily Shields, as the Vice President of Business Development at OSF Healthcare, we looked at some of those numbers and recognized this is a population we need to look to help because we recognize there was a need. Tell me about looking to expand behavioral health services and what we are doing in that regard. Absolutely. So the numbers you cited are familiar to us, and we first identified the need through recognition of how many patients were leaving our service areas um, throughout the OSF ministry to receive that inpatient mental health care. Dr. Sears did a great job of 
describing the need and and where we got here. And that has led to, I think, um, when you look at the service area that the state uh, defines where uh, Peoria is located, because that is where the new um, hospital is going to be built. I think over 2,000 from the service area in the last year left it for care. And even just from St. Francis Emergency Department alone, over 600 had to leave the Peoria area for care. So when we've identified that need, and again, the intent is that this hospital would draw a population from a wide range of, of area, great mileage distance, that's where we started. And so we identified the need and we recognized that OSF Healthcare did not particularly have a ton of expertise. We have some you know, great treasures like Dr. Sears, but um, unfortunately, the those resources are few and far between. And we were made aware through another hospital that we have a relationship with of their partnership with U.S. HealthFest. And um, that's how it all started. We, on recommendation from them, went to visit the one of their facilities outside of Chicago and were really, truly blown away by the expertise that they had, the resources that they had. And um, then come to find out when we um, brought Dr. Sears into the conversation that we had been sending our patients to care for them for quite some time. Right now, you, you go to an emergency department. That's where you're going to get your care. There's the inpatient services in the immediate Peoria area are few and far between. We have some other limited inpatient services within the OSF ministry, but still, People have to, then they're realizing, wait, what do you mean? I have to leave home, quote unquote, to go get care. That has to be a real eye opener and probably not helpful when it comes to helping them with a mental health crisis, because don't you want their support system around them to make that a better process? Certainly. And that's been a challenge now for years. And this is not any slight against Methodist for the efforts that they've put in over the years. They're taking care of who they can. Their unit's just vastly too small for the overall needs throughout the greater Peoria area. In fact, they've been so overwhelmed, they've been sending many individuals out of town as well. And so even just following federal laws of EMTALA, they're required to take care of the people in the emergency department first. And so they send them up to the floors till they fill and then out of town they go and the same situation ends up happening for us. The reality is the demand has been so much greater than the ability to serve it within Peoria, especially since, you know, many years ago when Zeller closed down. Again, a state facility that was operating in a busy way, much like Singer was doing up in Rockford. When Singer was finally closed, they were operating at a daily census higher than their actual ability to meet the needs with the unit that was still open. However, it was closed because the overall facility was not being utilized. Again, that being due to cuts in funding to be able to actually operate a facility of that size. And so all of these unit closures then fell to the community resources to be able to try and meet those needs. And we've also eroded some of those community opportunities. We've seen a number of closures most recently now. St. Margaret's up in the I-80 region has lost their inpatient unit, taking away more beds from central Illinois. And it's through attrition of losing systems. It's through losing providers. And 
Sadly, the provider situation hasn't been improving either within the U.S. The average age of a psychiatrist is 55 in the United States as opposed to the average age of a physician, which is 45. We are still retiring faster than we're bringing out new residents. Fortunately, we did fill our class of residents for this coming year. However, the reality is, you know, there have been many years where U.S. residencies for psychiatry weren't filling because, unfortunately, when you're somebody that's going into a residency from medical school, you're often several hundred thousand dollars in debt. Psychiatry has consistently for many years been one of the lowest paying specialties, especially among four-year residencies across the United States, tied again to the poor reimbursement that has traditionally gone on by the government for paying for services. Also, a lot of our individuals, as we spoke about before, aren't necessarily folks of great financial means, which means that many of their payers are Medicaid, Medicare. And as anybody that works in healthcare, I'll tell you, Medicare, you kind of are breaking even or right around. Medicaid, you're usually losing some money on taking care of those individuals. And behavioral health is a Medicaid high population. And so we really need to be able to meet the care needs of these individuals. But it's really hard to convince a lot of agencies, especially a lot of for-profits out there, that you know we're going to invest in a money-losing business venture. And so... That's one of the things that I've actually been very, very pleased with, you know, working with U.S. Health Best facilities over time. They don't shy away from taking our patients with Medicaid. They really follow a philosophy, much like OSF's, of even though they're a for-profit, we need to serve our communities. We need to serve those that are greatly vulnerable and have great needs. And so they take our patients. They have specialty programs that nowhere else in the state can we access for these individuals, trying to find somewhere that'll do dual diagnosis, mental health and substance use disorder treatment for an individual with Medicaid, good luck outside of the U.S. Health Best's operations. And so that's why I've loved working with them for the 10 years I've spent here in Peoria. They are a great partner. They want to work with us. They want to treat the community. They want to serve those in the greatest need. It's a great partnership. Dr. Sears just hit on a point I was going to make, and that is some of the criteria that we use to evaluate the partner. And he just shared one, and that is that they were some of the only ones who do accept our Medicaid patients, knowing that that is a a high area of need. And the reason they're able to do that is because they can offer these specialized programs at scale. So they bring additional resources. They have three hospitals in the Chicago areas, but many others around um, the United States. And so they are able to pull resources, whether that's administrative and leadership resources, physician resources. They have programs where they grow their own, staffing with behavioral health techs. They have a different model than what we're used to, but it's a proven model with good outcomes, as good of outcomes as, as you can have. The other is the expertise that they bring in regards to that staffing. So both their ability and willingness to treat all patients and the expertise and scale that we're able to achieve with them as a partner. And talk a little bit about for people to understand when it comes to providing the services and care. And I would imagine all ages this is true, but younger people, those support systems that are around and to be there to help, 
that plays a huge role in treatment, doesn't it? It does. And I would say, again, our, our partnership is focused on those 18 and above. Uh, Methodist has expanded their services through the Bright Minds Project to really focus on that child and adolescent population and bless them for doing that. That's their contribution right now in trying to expand services. We greatly support their efforts and really you know, backed their efforts moving forward on this. We want to try and serve the other part of the population that's in great need and unmet, focusing on the adult side. And so what we do know is when folks are in a crisis, they need all of the support rallied around them that they can have. And when we have to send folks out of town, yeah, we've gotten a little better with, you know, telecommunications, Zoom calls, things like that. But there's a different quality to being able to video in or call in for a care conference as opposed to being able to be there with your loved one. It's also very, very different in the as we're planning discharge because discharge planning in behavioral health starts from time of admission. It's a how do we keep this person in a safe way, get them stabilized. Behavioral health inpatient is not about getting people well in the hospital anymore. It's about getting them stable enough to get well outpatient at this point because, again, if we were waiting to truly get people well at inpatient – we would have no access to care at this point. And so it really is about stabilization and getting people well out in their communities. But trying to plan from two hours, three hours away from where the person lives, the odds that they're going to be familiar with what resources are in the area, let alone what resources are quick, available, most efficient, most meeting the individual needs and matching providers that are best at what the person needs to what's available, there's no chance of that at, you know, two and three hours away. I can't tell you the names of psychiatrists that are three hours away outside of ones that I directly, you know, interact with in accepting patients. How on earth can you expect those facilities to know our doctors, our therapists, what we specialize in? And so getting people close to home Do I know what services are available over across the street at Methodist? Do I know what's available at Trillium Place? Do I know what's available in Heartland? Do I know what's available at Proctor? I certainly do. I also know our friends and associates in mental health that are a private group that are here in town. When you're local, you know in the behavioral health community who does what, who's great at what, what the right person to send out to is can't do that from two and a half, three hours away. And so this is going to open up a lot of opportunity for loved ones to be involved for better discharge planning and then top that off with really opening up one thing that's really great in evidence-based care of having a PHP, partial hospitalization program, to be able to step down from inpatient into, which is one of the perks that's going to be available with our partnership for Meadowview Behavioral Hospital, that really decreases the risk that somebody's going to get out of inpatient and decompensate further waiting for ongoing outpatient care. This is a step down to an intensive program where for about two weeks, they'll be going in Monday through Friday, doing intensive therapy, having the ability to get med adjustments by either a psychiatrist or a psychiatric APN and have that continuity of care 
we know, this is evidence-based, it decreases recidivism in the emergency departments. It decreases the difficulties of getting that access and appropriate follow-up. We have quality metrics around HEDIS that flat out say these people need to be seen within seven days after an inpatient discharge. With our current you know, abilities to care for folks and honestly the connectivity of trying to get people from two and three hours away, we're not meeting those metrics the way that we want to and that we know people need. This provides that ability. We heard firsthand from patients um, exactly what Dr. Sears just detailed when we sat in front of the state board to ask for approval to open this new hospital. We um, were fortunate to have um, a couple of patients come and share their stories. Both of them spoke to the hardships on on their families and their loved ones of being many hours away and trying to visit, help them not feel lonely and and bring them home safely into a program. It has to be heartbreaking to listen to those stories, adults and children. The stories for children and what the pandemic did to our kids is so hard to listen to. I imagine it's even more so. You you deal with it, you know, the younger people every day, Dr. Sears. Yeah, I can tell you. Spending, you know, every day seeing patients at St. Francis Medical Center doing consults and having things staffed with me the just look of disappointment and devastation when you have to break that news to we're happy to make that phone call and see if we can get you in over at Methodist. But the reality is we haven't gotten anyone over there in about two to three years now. Just kind of the look that just goes over their face of, yeah, if they haven't gotten somebody over there in a couple of years, the odds it's going to be me nearly zero that hurts. And, you know, when we're taking folks from other regions, so again, St. Francis Medical Center, we're getting people from all over central Illinois. When we're getting people from up in the Ottawa region and telling them, yeah, we'll be happy to make St. Elizabeth's our first call, our sister hospital that's, you know, up there and has a unit, that is comforting. That helps them feel, okay, this is getting me closer to home. We're on the road to what we need to do. When we get folks from Bloomington, you know, we're happy to, you know, try Broman, try and make that happen and frequently are able to. Folks from Champaign-Urbana, we're happy to call, you know, Heart of Mary or Pavilion, see what we can do about that. That gives a lot more hope. That helps people feel they're connected to things when our answer is, all right, we're going to start making calls. We'll try and keep you close to home, but the reality is best case scenario, you're going to be, you know, an hour, two hours away from where home is. I think of patients that are from the Canton area. Oh boy, if you're from Canton, you're guaranteed to be at least an hour and a half away from home in current state. And that's hard for folks. And we get plenty of folks from, you know, those kind of communities where, it is basically a mental health desert outside of the community agencies that provide outpatient care. And even them, they're very stretched and it can be very hard to get that follow-up. We were overwhelmed by support from those hospitals that, that he just mentioned, our rural communities, our independent hospital partners, community agencies, FQHCs, federally qualified health centers, truly overwhelmed with the amount of letters written in support of this project. 
Were you even surprised at what the pandemic did to the mental health state of people? I mean, we get it. You're in lockdown. You're all these various things. But even sitting there, did it shock you of how bad things got? It both did and it didn't, unfortunately. Going into as soon as we realized, you know, how much this was going to kind of upset how the world ran and we knew it wasn't going to be pretty through it. And as a behavioral health service line team, our, our first reaction when we started really processing what was going on is, while it looks bad now, the now wasn't going to be nearly as bad as what out the other side was. And I, I've talked about this in our you know approval meeting with the board up in Chicago land, and I've talked with this at, with OSF leadership kind of throughout. I liken what's gone on with the pandemic to kind of a military conflict. You, you don't lose your soldiers for the most part to suicide during active combat. You lose them when they come back home and try to adjust to normal that's not normal anymore. Honestly, the whole world went through something quite similar to the great stress that you would see during combat, the losses, losses of close people not being able to properly mourn and go about things the way that you would normally do to process and handle grief. And then, okay, we're back to normal, back to, you know, quiet, time to take assessment and process what's going on, just like our soldiers when they come back. Everyone's taking stock of life, being told, okay, go back to normal now. And normal ain't normal. There's been massive economic disruptions. Many individuals, I would venture to say almost every individual, either lost somebody or knows someone close to them that lost somebody during the pandemic. Many of which, you know, opportunities for visitations, funerals weren't the way they would normally be handled complex grief, let alone access to services and care that got deferred and kicked down the road. We know when people wait for services, the worse the problem gets. And so many of these individuals have spent, you know, upwards of three years just kicking the can down the road and suddenly everything hits them like a ton of bricks. And that's when we see all the fallout. There's no surprise people have been self-medicating with alcohol and drugs. There's no surprise people are more depressed, more anxious. These are the natural consequences of people not dealing with the stresses, the traumas, the losses that have been just a constant part of life for several years now. So, Emily, give us a status update. It's a planned 100-bed Meadowview Behavioral Hospital that will be located for people who look at a map, Peoria area, Route 91. There's some property OSF Healthcare owns out, uh, think where our Center for Health, Route 91 is. It's out in that general vicinity. What is the status with the facility and what's the progression from here to get it built and open? We've already talked about the exciting news that we did receive approval from this the state board, and, and they told us to go forth and build as quickly as possible. So that we are trying to do, and we look forward to starting construction as soon as possible for completion in 2025. And again, the cohorting is what makes their programmatic approach work so well. So they get patients onto units of kind of like needs, and that allows them kind of to specialize in treatment programming that really fits well with the individuals that are on the unit. So that's part of the real value add. And 
the way that their system works is operating at a scale. It's really hard to run a small unit. And by small unit, I'm talking 20 or less. When you're dealing with a large segment of patients, you can break down those specialized programs into subunits, focus on meeting needs jointly while doing individualized treatment planning on top of it. But trying to treat on you know the same 20-bed unit, your range of individuals that might be suffering from psychotic illness, bipolar illness, severe depression from losses that they've had, post-traumatic stress disorder. There are commonalities, but they're not as common as, okay, we're going to have this unit really focused on individuals with mood disorders. We're going to have this unit really focused on psychotic disorders. We're going to focus this unit on commingled mental health and substance use problems. Those individuals are going to have a lot more in common with themselves and get more out of specific groups than trying to do a group targeting that whole breadth of patients. And so that that's some of the added bonus that comes with scale besides just the sheer scaling from a business side, which we all know in healthcare, the more you're able to operate on a larger scale, there are efficiencies on the administrative side and on staffing that just don't come trying to do small programs. There's a reason consolidation happens in healthcare across the country. Any final thoughts on what lies ahead and what people should look forward to down the road in regards to this? I would say the thing I'm most excited about is when you bring in services and ramp up services, it draws interest and talent from you know around the country. So having this opportunity to really build a expertise-based inpatient hospital of a hundred bed size, that's going to attract in therapists, psychiatric nurses, APNs, physicians that otherwise wouldn't be coming to the area. So you make this more of a destination, like attracts like in healthcare. So when you get that strong nucleus of providers, it brings more people in. And so I think this is really the best opportunity that Peoria has had since the days of the state hospitals to be able to bring in excellent mental health talent that previously would have gone, nah, I'm headed to, you know, sunny Florida or I'm out to California or headed to Hawaii and go, this is where, you know, there's great need but great services too. And, you know, I think we have a much brighter future in central Illinois than we've had for a long time. And I think it's going to allow OSF, and we were purposeful in this, allow us to focus on continued behavioral health care delivery in the ambulatory setting so that we can continue to grow those services while we've found a clinically expert partner in delivering those inpatient services. So allowing us to focus and continue to grow those outpatient ambulatory services for our patients. Yeah, really focusing on what we do best, let them do what they do best. And the reality is partnership is so key across mental health. In the behavioral health world, we don't look at, you know, competition or have any of those kind of ideas. We we look at there is no fighting over pie. There is more than enough pie for everybody. In fact, we are drowning in pie right now. So, you know, we want everyone to focus on what they do best and this is a great opportunity. 
Emily Shields, Dr. Samuel Sears, thank you so much for a, a very engaging conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes on the OSF Newsroom at newsroom.osfhealthcare.org.